This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 136, The Asaral Tribes Strategy Guide. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Hunter, we are officially in the territory of Matt might suddenly not be on the show next week. You've activated my (laughs) trap card. I've played. You have baby now. You have to pass all of your turns for the remainder of this podcast. Yeah, we are we are in that part of the show. And what sucks about all of this? All right, I have a beef with Patience as a Virtue and the Defterous, which is to say, Hunter and I, months ago, I found out, you know, my family found out my wife was pregnant, and we went, well, we need to make sure we plan ahead for that with the podcast. Would hate to run into a stupid situation where we haven't stockpiled some episodes and just, like, have a nice which, trickle. For the record, we've never done. We've never done ever. that. We've never we've gotten nev- ahead. This podcast ever. is generally recorded Sun Saturday, Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, and released that same Tuesday. And when it's released late, it's because something messed up in those four-day periods. This whole thing <laughs> happens by the seat of our pants with absolutely no wiggle room for mistakes. It is essentially a live it show. It is depressing how true that is. Yeah, we might as well do... I don't know why we don't do it. As, actually, I do know why our we don't. Our method for making the show has not evolved in any meaningful way over the last two years. We were better at it early on. We actually That's got true. ahead more often when I was still in Portland than we do now. The only time we were ever ahead on this show is when it started. <laughs> the first five episodes. At the very beginning. Yeah, the first five episodes are the only time we've ever been ahead in any meaningful way. So, we had a plan to get ahead, and... This 14-point tournament came up, and we were like, well, we'd love to take part in that, even though we absolutely do not have time for it in our schedules. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. do it anyways. So, yeah, now we're suddenly in a situation where, I mean, hopefully, I'm still crossing my We didn't my even fingers. both win. I know. You know? Yeah. So we didn't even get, we didn't even, imagine had we both lost. What a huge <laughs> what a waste, waste of time. That, would have been. that would have been not just for us, but for the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, everything, every time. Just we, kidding. That's not, that's a joke. It's a joke. But but the truth, the, the truth in the joke is that every time we are playing TI, it's time we're not spending getting ahead recording episodes of this podcast so that when yeah. I have a baby, I don't disappear from the show for a month. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is just like going to happen, I guess, now. <laughs> we'll see. There's, we have a couple weekends left, maybe, but like, uh, you know, June 23rd is the date, and we are now officially less than a month from that yeah so uh-oh <laughs> i don't really tell my girlfriend a lot about the goings-on of the show uh-huh. in general yeah. because she has almost zero interest right. in it yeah. beyond the, the beyond my availability yeah but i have explained to her this entire situation and she is nervous yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nervous for you to become show daddy <laughs> Is that what you're yeah. nervous about? Hunter, I don't know if you can run that ship by yourself. I don't know if you're the captain. Yeah. <laughs> no, Hunter, you're going to do great. You've got people like EJ and Alec there to back you up. You know what? We haven't teased this or anything yet, and maybe it's not our place to tease it because Alec's the one that's been working on it, but Alec's been cooking up a little thing that is actually going to kind of 
help us. It's going to be really helpful. It's going to be helpful in that time, and it's going to be fun uh, for you all. Uh, basically, he's going to be kind of expanding on the player profile episodes we've done, but in a kind of more targeted approach, interviewing people in the community. I'm not going to spoil much more than that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't know how much Root has committed himself to doing stuff. I think he's done at least three episodes. Yeah. Um, but but I, I'm super excited for those to, to hit the feed, and they may hit with much quicker succession than we originally planned if we don't have uh, episodes in the hopper. If Baby comes yeah. without, you know, kind of shooting us a text before, <laughs> if that happens, you might suddenly find out about Root's secret yeah, project. Exactly. <laughs> I would expect to see it in your feed, and then you know, without it's us signed. saying anything, yeah, exactly. that Baby just kind of blew the doors off the place. <laughs> I can't wait for that week to happen where, like, I'm just like, hey, I'm turning off Discord for indefinite period of time. Like, I'm out. Yeah, and then you say that, and then you don't. And then and I you're don't. just like, here's do. pictures of the baby. Yeah. Here's a video of me with the baby. Don't you all need to see this baby? And everyone's oh, like, ruin we our know Twitter about feed. babies, okay? <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, obviously I'm excited, but also I just... I, I'm excited. I fear for... I fear, fear for you, the listener, who don't care about my baby and care about the show that you listen to weekly. Uh, I want you to still get something, so we're going to... It's okay. I'm building a Matt AI robot <laughs> to take over for you, and it'll just do annoying sing-songy uh -huh. stuff at the top, and then I'll just take over. It's an AI like... that you fed every pop song from the last yeah. 50 years, and now it writes its own pop songs. That's, yep, yep. <laughs> mostly VeggieTales-based. Um the thing is, what's great is I was playing um, a Goodyear Brotherhood game with uh, Brian, yep. one of our finalists from this year's tournament, mm -hmm. and he kept calling me your name. So it's not like anyone is going to notice knows. that you're gone <laughs> because they're just like, they're going to, they're, you're going to leave and they're going to be like, so Hunter had his baby? And I'll be like, <laughs> yes, he did. I'm Matt. It, we are the same. We are the same. One with a little, just a, a hint more southern drawl. Just a hint. See if you can detect yeah. it. Obviously, you're talking about Matt. Uh-huh. The yeah, Matt. cowboy <laughs> one of the two of us. Um, okay, well. He's I been called a cowboy jester. The cowboy jester the cowboy of Twilight <laughs> Imperium. Matt. I love when people are like, so which one of you is the comedian? That always feels... That's feels the most me. insulting question. I know, exactly. It fills me with a little bit of pride because like, oh, really? You can't just tell which one is the comedian? Wow, I'm, I'm keeping up. I'm, I'm throwing my own punches, I guess. Yeah, that one makes me feel real real hurt deep down. <laughs> um, Hunter, last week you did the Mentac Guide and I feel like we are in 2019 or even 2018 where we're in this world where we do faction guides back to back because that hasn't yep. happened in a long time no um, it hasn't but uh we are we just did mentat guide and now we're doing a sorrow guide i think our goal is to really pick up the pace on these things especially with all the stuff we just talked about of me suddenly disappearing i would hate to lose yeah. a month and a half with hunter's baby on the way <laughs> it's gonna be rough um but yeah we're we're gonna do a sorrow today and so if you haven't caught on, I feel like we've mentioned this once before, but if you haven't caught on, we're doing these faction guides in Twilight Imperium release order. Um, yeah. And so that really mostly is a first edition thing, but then also, so so second edition never actually introduced any new factions. First edition introduced a bunch, and then second kind of like, hey, let's go back to the drawing board and like maybe rebuild up some of that steam 
and then they wiped the slate clean again. And then TI three was really only ten factions. I think it's right. 10, ten or eleven. I always I always confuse myself with that. Um, it was. 10 10 yep because then there were seven in the expansion so 10 factions so today we're getting through two more of them um that would have ended up being in the ti3 base game um so if you follow that you can track that our next two factions in no particular order are l1z1x and what's our other one hunter i'm doing nalu Nalu, that's right yeah nalu and l1z1x are are up next uh they're on deck. i'm doing nalu and you're doing l1 that, that sounds correct? right yeah because you did you i think we had it inverse last time so we've been trying God, can we to switch s- can we switch yeah i uh, <laughs> i do not feel like playing nalu i don't like nalu yeah i don't know how much. i feel about l1 uh so let's that's gonna switch. be interesting come on let's make it no. easy hunter's hunter's baby is on the way <laughs> we need this to be simple and straightforward also neither l1 nor nalu are broken we don't yeah. even have that much to update yeah you know? yeah that's true those those two guides actually probably more or less stand although nalu i think is the one i get the most grief for because people are like you talk about gumming up the works a lot and i'm like but gumming up the works is super good so and also <laughs> that's where we invented that term yeah. give us a little bit of leeway right. um so but today's a sorrel and it's has been a an interesting one in that i f- i have this feeling like if i had really wanted to um i would have devoted as much mental strain into Asarl as I did at, into Extra. Um, but mm-hmm. Extra broke me in such a way where I was like, I can't do that ever again. It would take us four years to do every single faction if I devoted that much mental energy. And I, I actually, wouldn't have allowed it. Yeah, and, and honestly, Asarl is simpler than that. Um, yeah. Because Asarl has this, I feel like, somewhat obvious curve, which is in a... All new groups, first few games, Asarl wins a lot. And in fact, mm-hmm. if you listen to the first year of the show, almost every play of the week is some sort of Asarl crazy action card play where they win from nowhere. That's mm-hmm. just that. That's what Asarl is, is the playmaker. Um, but then as your whole group gets more experience, they basically get sick of putting up with Asarl's crap and they just start getting ahead of it. And Asarl runs into this new issue of like, maybe Asarl's not that great of a faction and we don't actually see them win in tournaments hardly ever. Um, similar right. to Mentak, um, but Mentak has more obvious tools that have successful outcomes, whereas Asarl doesn't really. So I, I think I feel pretty comfortable categorizing Asarl as like not a very strong faction um, due to some pretty major issues that are really hard to define and like sense until you're just like at the end game and you're like wait why don't i have any ships where did why did i never get any ships should should i have when was i supposed to build more ships that's the feeling right. i have at the end of every single asarl game is like when was my opportunity to build more ships and why do i feel like i didn't have that this game so well, there's not like a hook built into asarl to get you to want to build ships right i think as part and of there's it. no economic engine that helps you get ahead on building ships so the mm-hmm. whole thing with the sorrel that we're going to really get into today is what actually is their advantage and how do you turn that into a win and that is a much more difficult thing to connect like turning I their think, advantage into a win can be actually quite difficult yes i think the way i would uh phrase it is that there is a difficulty curve to Isarl, and it's kind of a classic one of easy to learn difficult yes, to master absolutely 
So let's get into it. Let's start off with just some basic overview stuff. What does Isaril have? Um, so to start off with, they begin the game with two carriers and five infantry, which is actually essentially the best kind of start we can consider in the early game. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if we are basing it solely off of the ability to expand to many systems quickly, um, they have one extra infantry, which is awesome. They also have a cruiser, which is kind of your optimal trade ship. You could have a destroyer or a cruiser. They have the one that's better at fighting. How, how novel. Um, they also start with two fighters, which is okay. I'd love more, but I mean, I'm already starting with kind of everything I could ask for. Uh, and they are one of the, you know, factions that starts with a PDS, which honestly feels out of place to me. Um, I don't know why Asaro would need to start with a PDS, but it's, I'll take it. I think it's to emulate that in TI3, they famously had the best start in the game. Yeah. So, and I think, I I think the starting units are the same as they were in TI3 even. And yeah, yeah, this this two C five I and TI three was just monstrously. Well, they also good. started with XRD transporters. Yeah, which that, was the carrier two. Yes. Well, that's still what carrier two is right. called. It's just you don't even think of it being called right. that anymore. Um, so they also start with the tech neural motivator, which is going to become very important with their faction abilities. Um, but that extra card draw. If I'm only going to start with one tech, I want to start with neural motivator, or I want to start with Sarween tools, realistically. Um, obviously, right. anti-mass is a thing, but I only want anti-mass because I want to be close to gravity drive. So, I don't know. Right, I and love obviously, start. Neural is the actual answer. Yeah, Neural the is the best one. answer. and The number I, one. I, I, love, uh, I love Neural Motivator quite a lot, uh, maybe too much. Um, their home system is not as many resources as you want. It's two resources and then a one-resource planet. Um, but that two-resource planet is a 2-3, and the one-resource planet is a 1-2, which means they actually have a lot of influence at home, which is yep. going to be a very big factor in how we think about what our priorities are with Isaril. They That you could actually, um, with a single trade good, you can buy two command... You can guarantee yourself two command counters every round. Mm-hmm. That leaves you with no money, but that's like... My baseline for trying to survive in a game of TI4 is buying at least two command counters off of leadership every time it pops. Yep. That's yep, what yep, I yep. really need to stay relevant, and Asarl has that on lockdown. So that's a big factor to me. Yeah, it also feels like, and this is a more modal advantage that you'll your mileage will vary, um, but it does feel like the factions that have more influence at home, that especially if you're playing with like well-balanced maps, those are the factions that get to have a little more juice in agenda phases yep. because that is kind of the fact. It's like the opposite of the L1Z1X problem right. of like five resources at home and Nothing. not none, <laughs> none influence. Yeah. None Zs at all Zs. <laughs> um, so let's get into what their abilities actually are, which uh, we talked about this the first time we ever talked about Asarl, but Asarl's faction sheet, um, similar to something like Arborek, Um, is a thing that got kind of lost in translation between TI3 and TI4. Uh, If you Mm -hmm. are, for the very first time, pulling up Asaro Tribes and you read one of their abilities, you will not understand why that is a thing that you want to do. Uh, It is called Stall Tactics. As an action, you can discard one action card from your hand. And a player could very easily be forgiven for looking at that and saying, why would I want to just discard a card? But what that is actually saying is there is a price to being able to delay 
for a round, wait for other people to take actions, and then do your actions once they have like all passed or whatever. That ends up becoming what Asarl is very good at. In TI3, all of this worked a very different way, and it was like grossly overpowered. Like, mm-hmm. not we already talked about their start was very good, but like they're also abilities to basically always do all of their actions last in the round was completely ridiculous. Um, so they actually nerfed Asarl tribes in TI4 by making that stall cost you an action card of which you are very capable of getting plenty of action cards throughout the game so it doesn't read that way on the sheet although the the naming convention of calling it stall tactics is sort of what's supposed to signal you there but again yeah it's your clue (laughs) you can be forgiven for not understanding why a stall is important right it's it's right it's not obvious that that's a thing you want to do in twilight imperium Um, but turns out it's a really really great thing especially when the action card is something you could just be burning anyways but what gets weird about stall tactics is more often there are enough action cards in the deck that are stalls themselves that's that have that same all caps action text printed on them that generally speaking you don't really have to stall tactics you you a lot of times have action cards that can be used as stalls in different ways and you Mm -hmm. prioritize those your last ditch effort in like the final round is starting to use stall tactics but you don't see stall tactics in the first few rounds of the game usually uh your second ability is scheming when you draw one or more action cards draw one additional action card then choose and discard one action card from your hand so asarl doesn't asarl's not like jolnar they don't get more action cards at like a higher rate than other factions um you know they they get action cards as fast as anybody else who has neural motivator but the difference is you can guaranteed expect Asarl's action card hand to be better than everybody else's because they get to they've pruned their deck they get to always get rid of one card that's junk and and maintain the same level of action cards as everybody else and then their benefit comes in which is crafty their third ability you can have any number of action cards in your hand game effects cannot prevent you from using this ability so you never have to discard down to seven action cards uh the that last sentence basically overrides the agenda that forces everybody else to only have three action cards in their hand oh my god it's so ridiculous so it makes Asarl even more just way overpowered in terms of action cards so they're the action card faction and their entire balance is based on whether or not action cards are really really good or not and that's that's i think the biggest defining factor in why you see them do really well with early game players that haven't memorized the entire action card deck and don't know what to expect versus late game players who have thought through every single card know what could come up know what's worth sabotaging and all of that they can play against action cards and asarl starts to fall off a little bit sure so Next up, uh, we've got the flagship, the Asiya Isrila. Hmm, that was fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the the Asaro flagship is. I really want to go out on a limb and say it's my favorite flagship in the game. Just Whoa. from a from a flavor. Stand. I really love it. Yeah, I really love so it. So that's so much. that's been our segment of the show where Matt kind of over I'm over not, doubles down hey, on something. Listen, I'm that, not saying it's the best flagship. Out of his butt. I'm not saying yep. it's the best flagship in the game. I would mm-hmm. never dare. Mm-hmm. But it is. It and Ghost's flagship do the coolest stuff. Do the fanciest yeah. little dances, right? So it's pretty cool. Isaro's flagship is a, an eight cost flagship. It hits two on a five, so it's a very good. It's a double dreadnought. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the only flagship in the game that has a base movement of two, 
Um, you can make your arguments about the ghost flagship, depending on if it starts in a wormhole and having gravity drive from the start, blah, 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 blah. But it, yeah, yeah, yeah. base movement is two. It's the only one that does that. And it's three capacity. And this ship can move through systems that contain other players' ships, which is essentially the same wording as light wave deflector. So you have one ship that from the start of the game has light wave deflector, can jump, mm-hmm. can go through people's stuff. Um, and this makes them a little bit maybe similar to the stuff we talked about with Mentac last week, where you can like kind of get some, if you get your flagship out early, which I'm not specifically recommending, but if you can get it in like round two or three or something, a little bit crazy feeling, you can do really slick stuff with it. Um, especially if you get gravity drive. Now you have a three movement flagship that hits really good, can carry, you know, a single fighter and two infantry to go take some plant. Like you can do, you can get work done with that flagship in a really interesting and sneaky way. Um, Yeah. And that's just why I like it so much. I'm not here to say like it's the crux of your strategy or anything, but it's such a fun tool and can be used in the mid or late game to do all kinds of stuff. Anything that's left weakly defended, you can get in there. Just to get ahead of the, I mean, because this is the errata bait part um, where we are baiting you to mm. react, or we, I, uh, Matt is, um, <laughs> I'll just go ahead and say that I think the problem with that is putting a flagship mm-hmm. in enemy territory yep. almost completely undefended yeah. is not the best case scenario almost always a bad decision based on just the frequency like the way the strategy card deck is you know that every strategy card is going to be drawn which means in any given game of twilight imperium 4 you can be guaranteed that somebody has the strategy of the secret objective to destroy someone's flagship um so yeah you don't want to put it in enemy territory and that's what this flagship is best at doing um if you have unveil flagship this is a awesome flagship like i'm i'm super pumped to have unveil flagship with this one because like man that's a point i just i know i'm gonna get at some point i can get it somewhere where it's gonna win a combat there's gonna be one somebody's destroyer just sitting somewhere that i can go snipe and i won't have anything in my way but the flip side is also true so whatever scary but i love it um so let's get into their faction tech their faction tech is both green um the first one only requires one green, which you start with. So basically, their first tech you can just get whenever at any point in the game, and that's going to be an important point later on, and it's called transparasteel plating. During your turn uh, of the action phase, players that have passed cannot play action cards. This is such a weirdly placed tech because it's low in the tree because it's not specifically like a an overpowered card, even though mm-hmm. you could maybe argue it is kind of like really wicked good. Um, especially given the faction that you are and you generally end rounds being the only person yeah, taking yeah. actions. Um, but it's a, it, it is a late game ability considering how Isaril tends to play. We're going to get into in like our, our trading and mid game sections of this episode, like what it means to try to pull off your big action card swings and the stuff that you're going to do as a Sorrel. Um, Isaril really has kind of a couple specific tricks under their belt and that's about it. Uh, and this tech is key to that. That's not to say you need it right away, but you probably need it before the end of the game. 
Yeah, you probably, I'll go so far as to say you probably don't need it right away. Right away. Yeah. Very, I, I 100% agree with that. Uh, their second tech is a very popular tech. It's called Mageion Implant. It requires three tech. So similar, I want to compare this directly to mirror computing, right? Because Mentax starts with a yellow tech and mirror computing is three requirements. Isaral starts with a green tech and Mageion is three requirements. So this is in mm. that same level as mirror computing. So does yeah. Mageon implants stand up to the same scrutiny as mirror computing? Here's what it says. Action, exhaust this card to look at another player's hand of action cards, choose one of those cards and add it to your hand. That's a pretty cool ability. Uh, first off, I get a bunch of information and if I'm smart, I'll be taking notes throughout the game. Um, I've, yeah. I've never actually done this myself, but I should if I were playing as a Sorrel in a like competitive tournament, game. tournament yeah. game, I would definitely have a little notebook and I would write down every time I've looked at somebody's hand of action cards. The secrets. The yeah. secret It's book. not like Dune where like Atreides 100% needs to know what's in everybody's hand, but it's certainly going to be useful information. Um, and I get to take one. So I get, a, I get to stall with my Mage on Implants. It costs an action, which is another thing I love doing. Uh, and as part of that stall, I get to draw an action card and that action card could be used to stall again, right? So that's a little bit where the power mm -hmm. of Mageon implants comes in. But again, all of that is reliant on once you're done stalling, you have something to do. <laughs> that's yeah. the trick of a sorrel is you can stall a bunch, but you also then need to take an action that matters. And I think that is where... Uh, Isarl becomes very difficult to master, like you said earlier, Hunter. Um, also, yes. three commodities. They're a middle-of-the-road middle, middle of the road commodity faction. Uh, that's fine. I'm super glad they don't only have two commodities. That would be uh, pretty sad. So three commodities is great. Yeah. Well, it's good. It's good. It's, it's middle-of-the-road. Yeah, yeah. and, and they need the money. They so need... They they, boy, do they need the money. Um, All right. You ready to talk about early game strategy cards, I, that round wood good stuff? Yeah. I'm 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 a bit nervous about this part. Um, but Ooh, I, okay. Well, That's here's fun. the thing. Um, I want to I want to get a, a big problem out of the way at the start of this, which is I think in your heart of hearts as an Asara player, you need to accept that you are probably not doing both warfare and technology. Right. That's a that is a thing that very likely won't happen for you, and you just need to accept round one as I already have two C4I, I have two C5I. Like, I'm going to go get two systems, and, like, let's just ride on that. Let's just be happy that all of that happened, and anything else I get in round one is icing on the cake. Why are we not? Because the biggest reason there. is we only have three resources at home. Uh -huh. uh, and so the idea that we're going to get tech is a little bit tough, and also we don't specifically have a need for any tech round one. There's no okay. tech that necessarily saves our butts round one, so I don't see any reason to rush for it. And the last point to it is, we've already started to talk about um, you need to be able to do something with your swing rounds. Mm -hmm. Plastic is a very difficult thing with the Sorrel. For some reason, like we said, you, you just suddenly you get to the end of the game and you're like, why don't I have any plastic? Why don't I have units? You need to really focus on building units all game. Yep. And so if I'm going to spend my three bucks on anything round one, it should be units. Even if it's not another carrier, I've already got two carriers, but like I need to get other units on the table. Yeah. So like your Achilles heel is not having the plastic. And I think it makes sense. Uh, we've already talked about their home system. Yeah. And we said, oh, it's really good for influence, mm -hmm. which is great. It's great that we're so positive. Right. What that means is 
it's kind of bad yeah for resources yeah and you really got to find a way to turn you got to find resources out on the map which means you need ships to find those resources you need ships to defend those resources and you need resources mm -hmm. to then build more it's just this yep. awful little toilet bowl that you're you're being flushed down um, all right well tell me about leadership okay what? so leadership i rank kind of in the middle i i think i don't think there's any there there are and there are not tricks that Isarl can capitalize on with leadership. Specifically round one, I don't think we have any crazy leadership advantages. Now round three and onward, leadership is an amazing top tier choice that I very, very much love. It's um, fun. Because you can combo it with your stall tactics and keep people from buying counters that they can then use that round. If you stall leadership yep. like every single round from rounds three onward, people get in trouble. Uh, because they yeah. just don't get the command counters when they need them. So very much in favor of that. Round one, that's not quite as much of a thing that you're going to accomplish. So um, I, I don't hate having leadership. Uh, again, I could technically spend my two planets. I could spend at least one of my two planets on an additional command counter. Round one, I'm not going to necessarily recommend doing that. But the big thing is leadership guarantees that we can use warfare and take advantage of it if we want to. If you have... For some reason, three systems with planets in range, you could get a third carrier out and go take all of them. Right. And leadership, you could stall it, whatever. Like, you could do the secondary of politics, get action cards, stall with action cards. You can stall with command counters. Like, you can 100% do warfare. There's nothing taking right. that away from you if you take right, leadership. Right, 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 right. Tech is the kind of, like, we'll see you decide if it's going to be worth it to you. Um, we'll talk about like actual tech path later, but my number one get, if I'm going to get tech round one is anti-mass and it's only to set us up so that we can get gravity drive round two. Right. Big, big fan of getting gravity drive as fast as possible with a sorrel. Um, but getting anti-mass round one isn't even necessarily going to do anything for us. I'm actually going to do anything for our round one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so leadership is just kind of like a eh, it's fine you're gonna definitely get to take advantage of warfare that's not even me saying you should definitely get a third carrier right that's that's if we have right. that third planet system like adjacent then okay let's go get all three or whatever but that's kind sure, of a sure, rarity sure. to have that much right next to you um yeah and obviously um in talking about round one with isarl there is a lot of um tendency to magic christmas land mm -hmm. because there is no telling what action cards right. you are going to get off that first politics draw. Right. But I do, one thing I do want to kind of center on right now, as far as what the TTS meta um, would dictate, is that if you take anything besides trade, most of the time, the amount of resources you're going to have available to you is three in your home system. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to do an X minus one yep. with whoever has trade. So that's five Dollars. to play with. Yep. That's not great. Yeah. And so th I think that is where a lot of the, we're not necessarily doing warfare and tech. Yeah. Because that value is, that's pretty crummy. That's, that's one resource and left and, over and for you the don't, warfare. You have no tools to get yourself more value than that. You, you're not necessarily selling, you're not selling your promissory note round one. Like you're not, you're just not doing anything fancy with trade round one. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you're, you're not making, making extra bucks. Let's talk about Diplo then. Is Diplo worth trying to get some extra money from? Well, we always have to talk about Diplo in the context of it's probably your last pick. And right. my big thing is I am significantly way, way, way more into doing construction because we have a not great two-planet home system with neither of our planets are more than two resources, which means neither of our planets are more than four production value at home. 
Right. And we right. just talked about how we have a really bad plastic problem all game. And the only thing that slows that down more is the fact that you can only build four ships or units total out of your home system every single round. So if you want to keep yourself slowed down on plastic all game, never get a space dock in your sec- in, in your home system. <laughs> but Diplo is immediately made worse because if construction and Diplo are what are up for grabs, I'm taking construction every single time because I want to put right. a second space dock at home guaranteed like that's maybe the most important thing to me if i'm a last pick isaro is mm-hmm. well at the very least i can save my round two by giving myself the ability to build way more ships round two yeah i also don't love it because i think in general what's necessary to justify a diplo pick is some sort of excellent tech skip yeah that is uh going to give us an advantage in the mid game that's worth risking other people getting similar right. advantages best and thing i see you can no do, case yeah best here. thing you can do with a sorrel is green skip to hyper metabolism which i'm not saying is very good <laughs> i think that's not worth it and if you're getting yeah. let's say you're let's say you're doing the other best case scenario which is like five resources off of abyss freya um that five bucks you don't have a ton of timing control over like it's not helping you do warfare any better which means you might not get a ton of value off of diplo you might be able to do both tech and warfare but like we described i just don't prioritize tech round one as much so i don't i don't see the value in it and again that second space dock is significantly more important yeah Uh, let's talk about politics which is kind of an obvious synergy with us because every time we draw action cards we draw an extra one so we can already start cultivating a really beautiful action card hand with politics um there's a whole thing i could go on a long tangent about uh taking politics every single round hunter talked about that a little bit last week in the mentat guide in terms of starting like round maybe four ish onward getting control of the speaker token there's dumb tricky stuff you can do with a sorrow where you Always take politics, get an absolutely ludicrous action card hand, and always maintain control of the speaker token. Uh, That's cool, but you're also giving a lot of power to your two neighbors uh, in different ways. And I just want to throw out that that's an option, but let's let's redial back into specifically talking about round one. Um, I think our number one advantage we're trying to capitalize on with politics round one is if we can sell that speaker token for extra bucks. Um, Mm -hmm. I I would love, you know, three or four trade goods from the person who's holding trade to our right for the speaker token. Give them the speaker token, get that extra money, and now I can do warfare and uh, technology this round in a way that's not going to slow me down and on, right? I can get anti-mass, I can build a couple extra units, next round I'm going to get gravity drive, I've got a pretty good action card hand, like I'm already smooth sailing Uh, i i think politics is a really good way to set yourself up for success it's a little bit win more it's just doing what you do but again selling that speaker token is kind of a crucial part of it the flip side of it would be if you know you are going to get enough money um to easily double tech next round i would keep the speaker token get yourself tech round two and double tech to gravity drive don't sell the speaker token don't assume you're making any extra money. Do your normal warfare thing. Save the, you know, save that second counter that you're not going to use on tech round one and buy two tech next round with the extra resources. I think that's yeah. going to help you actually quite a bit more. Um, I think that's a great opening. It's though. really, yeah, it is. It's very good. And the only way I break from it is if literally the person holding trade is sitting to my right. If they're anywhere else, it's going to take too much effort to pull off getting the money you want to get. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. 
Um, we kind of already talked about construction when we talked about Diplo. This tends to happen a lot. I've noticed in our guides, we, we talk about Diplo and we just say construction's better. Um, so it won't always be true, though. It's not you always know? true. We talked about Mentac last yeah. last time, and you know, with PDS, there's a very good reason to get more PDS. Right. Or you know, they're a PDS focused faction yeah. somewhat. Yeah. Um, and then this is a case where we have a reason to take construction. Yeah. But it won't always be the case. Yeah. Um, it's not to say um, if we're third pick, we're not taking construction. That's that's no. not that's not it. This is our we are sixth construction's what is left to us, and the ver- at the very least we can have kind of some saving graces to construction. Again, I every single time I will do a second space dock at home. I have I, I don't even have that huge of an interest in a forward dock, um, considering I'm only gonna be setting it adjacent to my home system. And I would rather up by quite a significant margin the production capacity in my home system than split up my production across two systems and have to spend two command counters just to get enough units built. Um, These factions that have low resource counts at home, I've especially recently come to realize that second space dock is pretty critical. In my 14-point tournament game, I was Jolnar, and I felt the pressure of not having a second space dock all game long. It was yep, so it annoying. Sucks. It was so annoying to have to activate two different systems to build in or the alternative being you don't build enough stuff. So it, it's just not fun. And uh, yeah, second space dock at home is very, very important. Uh, the other advantage to this, or, or, sorry, not advantage, but the other thing to this is you're again, probably only doing warfare or tech. This is also a really good, important time to point out Maybe it's okay that you don't do warfare and tech because Isarl likes the secondary of politics quite a bit. Um, so in the case of leadership, you're getting a bunch of extra tokens. You could do tech, warfare, and politics if like your round goes really, really great. Um, but with construction, I might just do warfare and politics and be pretty happy with where I've set myself up rather than I want to ask you a tech. question. Yeah, because I feel I, I feel like I'm I if I was listening, I might be a little bit confused. What am I building with That's, this warfare build? That is a good question uh, because we set we set up one scenario where you might want a carrier, but then we also said, mm, but probably not. Um, for me, the stuff that you need to build early is the cheapest stuff available to you. I think your biggest right. mistake is spending your three bucks. Well, okay, I made the case for building a carrier. That's one thing, but that's in a really specific scenario. Um, but to build a cruiser round one isn't actually going to do you any favors, right? You you already have one cruiser. Um, you are not a, like, muscly faction. And, in fact, I would kind of argue there's more action cards that help more roles than there are... You know, like there's more action cards that are probably better for fighters and fighter twos than there right. are for dreadnoughts. There's a there are a few great cards for dreadnoughts. So it's I actually yeah. kind of went through them and I couldn't make a strong argument either way. But generally speaking, me personally, I would like to have more fighters and cheaper units, um, especially because the tech path is just cleaner, so I can get to fighter two really easily. But right. I want to start building up my stockpile of fighters like right now. So if yeah. it were me, I would build like two or even three fighters and take the hit on like only burning like half a dollar or whatever but like you know two fighters and a destroyer and a ground force or something like that like some some way to just get the most cheap stuff out as you can two destroyers two fighters could be great um you could do a cruiser and two fighters and this is all just assuming we're only spending our three bucks on it if we get more money obviously we can go a little bit more pie in the sky but like i'm building at least two fighters that's for sure because we're gonna lean on fighters and fighter twos quite a bit in the mid and late game um, so I think 
the sooner you get started building the, that stuff, the better off you're going to be because it's going to be something you struggle with all game. And again, every round you should be building kind of as much plastic as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, so that starts with 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 this situation where uh, maybe it's maybe it's better to not get tech right now and to instead get some more plastic on the board. Um, let's get through the rest of these. Trade is a great, amazing top pick. Um, the biggest reason for this, and this is a reason trade is good for you all game. I'm gonna keep harping on this plastic problem and uh, and this resource problem, and trade solves that. Right, just pretty right. obviously, trade helps solve that. Um, to kind of put a note Solves, out there. I love it. I, I actually think this is my favorite This is one, probably personally. the best one to get. Politics is juicy and kind of flavorful for a sorrel, but trade actually plugs the holes that you have. <laughs> it a, is a bummer that we maybe don't get to do politics secondary, yeah. or let's say, let's, I want to let you expand. Sure. Um, so the big thing with trade for me is I'm probably replenishing everyone i mean i'm gonna try to make it like a debt meta stupid thing where like okay yeah owe me one on the agenda phase or something but there's a whole theory that we can set up here with trade round one which is isarl is very much invested in funding everybody else's wars against each other um and that Mm -hmm. starts with how you interact with trade and trade negotiations so i'm very much invested in my neighbors having having more money to build more plastic that they send at each other um, I'm also mm-hmm. later in the game going to direct my action cards at them and be like, hey, 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 I'll give you this morale boost if you, you know, if you go deal with Sardak Nor or whatever. Um, right. So that starts round one where you're just like, listen, everybody, refresh. Come on. I'm your buddy. I'm your buddy of Sorrel sitting here in the corner making everybody happy. And uh, you get to turn that into late later game advantages when people have spent their plastic in directions that are not you. That's the hard part to control. And, you know, we could talk for a hundred years and never come to a conclusion of how to make that a known thing that happens. But that's your goal um, is to just get people to point their point, their, their scary plastic at each other and not you. Um, So I like to trade round one. I like everyone to replenish and owe me a buck if they can, or get me the dollar right away. uh, If they've sent their ships nearby, Um, I won't probably buy the speaker token because the money is actually more valuable to me than picking, um, strategy card first so i i i say that with kind of the caveat of like well i guess if speaker is directly to my left and we're talking about i don't know that i go back and forth on it in my head um because i don't i don't love being last but again being construction around two wouldn't be the worst thing in the world and i just i really don't want to fall behind in plastic every time right every time it's happened you feel it in the late game. You feel it so intensely of just like, I don't have anywhere near enough stuff to take advantage of these action cards. The only economic advantage I had all game was a bunch of action cards and I don't have the ships to use them. Right. And that's when it sucks to feel, to, to be a sorrow. Um, yeah. So let's talk about warfare then because warfare is probably our best opportunity to either build more ships or do more stuff with our ships. Um, I think warfare is obviously a great pick, but I don't, I, it's, it's after politics and trade for me. Um, and it probably also sets us up in a scenario where we could maybe buy an extra token off a of leadership. Like we might actually need less money. This is going to be a weird argument I'm going to make here. Here's my optimal warfare play round one, round, uh, turn one, one carrier, two infantry. They go expand to an adjacent system round, uh, turn two. 
I send my cruiser somewhere to go be a part of trade deliberations. And I'm sure, let's, yeah, let's yeah. assume I'm going to make at least $2, right? My, my three is going to net me two bucks back, my three commodities. Mm-hmm. Um, my third action is to send my second carrier and some more ships to another adjacent system. And then my fourth action is to build at home. Uh, I'm spending, let's assume, two bucks plus the two bucks we made off a trade, or maybe one. Let's like I want to call it three dollars. We spend three dollars at home to build a third carrier that we can probably afford. Then our fifth action is to pull the token off of any of our available carriers, and then we expand as our sixth action a third time. So we barely afforded. A, uh, a carrier, and actually the way that all breaks out is you should, in theory, have had enough uh, influence to buy a command counter off of leadership, and that's what netted you the amount of stuff you needed. And because you waited until um, your fourth action to build, leadership almost definitely popped before then. So all of this kind of times out in a logical way, um, depending on who has leadership. That's really the only thing that can make or break it, but you end up with three carriers round one, and you bought an extra command counter and you've spread out to basically your entire slice and your second round's requirement is that you fill out that slice. If you fill yeah. if, if you've done your entire slice round 1, that means your slice is really weak round 2, but you don't have anywhere else you need to expand. So you need to spend How do you I, I'm confused hmm. though. What? Actually, this is actually pretty confusing. Okay. How do you do this actually? Like how is this possible? Without, I guess, like gravity drive, uh, because if you're not doing tech, because you're unactivating one of your systems to move your second carrier forward or something like that. It depends. It, obviously, it depends on the layout of your. Oh, of your so so you're you're building at home and you're not un you're, you're not, not necessarily th- unlocking okay. that carrier at home unless unless your home system is surrounded. Then yes, you would unlock. It, it just depends on which one you decide. Depends on where the planets are, but more likely, yes, you're going to an equidistant or adjacent to Mechatol with the carrier they did. But building that carrier at home is actually critical to our idea of later we're going to stockpile loads of fighters and they're going to go do other stuff later. Right. Once we do get yeah, Gravity yeah, yeah. Drive, that carrier full of fighters is going to go do fun stuff. Hmm. So that's okay, okay. that's why I like building the carrier at home round one with Warfare. Okay. So... Sorry, that was that got a little deep in the weeds. <laughs> I think I I think it's because whenever you lay out the specific actions, I like see them in my brain, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'll see them, it, and I'll get, I'll get a wrong impression of what. Because yeah. I would say the order of the actions doesn't really matter. No. all that matters is that you are able to do all. You're of able these to do actions, all of it. Basically. The big thing is that you haven't spent a fourth command counter until after leadership has popped, but that's technically somewhat possible maybe um you could even warfare before then and still build at home if 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 the issue if the thing you know is going to happen is that you're not going to move the carrier from home you can build that carrier at home whenever someday later so mm-hmm. you can warfare as your second action if you need to um but all of those six actions are essentially possible okay cool 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 so um, and again, you probably didn't do the secondary attack. You 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 probably shouldn't do the secondary attack because you're actually your focus here is getting as many planets as physically possible, so that your round two is like I'm gonna get lots of tech. I'm gonna do all. I'm you know I'm gonna buy lots of units. I'm just gonna pull off so much more stuff round two. Um, and maybe you got some sort of control objective round one. Who knows? That's probably not likely, but you never know. Two adjacent to Mechatol is it's certainly possible. Um, right. So. 
Uh, last up, because we're not going to really count Imperial, last up is technology. Technology, I feel really weird about, because this whole time, we've kind of said, I don't know that there's a huge argument to take techno to, to do the secondary of technology, and I kind of still feel like that's true with taking technology ourselves. Um, I, it's not bad, and I'm never going to, you know, if I'm third pick and technology is still available, I'll probably still nab it up, because, you know, a free tech's a free tech. I'm definitely probably getting anti-mass. Um, so uh, it's going to set me up, set me up for a decent round two, and I'm not having to spend any of my money. Um, I just, again, it really comes down to that thing of tech doesn't specifically do anything to improve our round one. So it always yeah. feels a little bit weaker to take tech when it isn't going to improve your round one. You, you have to think nice about it as a long free, game thing. It's nice that we're free to spend all, mm -hmm. let's say, like $5. Yeah. Be, let's say, assume we got to trade right. uh, all five dollars on plastic. I feel like does feel pretty good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think it's good. Or or even three bucks on plastic, and you spend your two three on an extra command counter. Sometimes that's worth it. Round one. Not always. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like go crazy on telling everyone to always spend the two three on a on a uh, command counter round one. But uh, I just I think, think it's you have almost tied with politics for me. I feel like it's almost the exact same Probably. end result round yeah. two. Yeah, politics is better than it is for everybody else, and tech is a little bit worse than it is for everybody else. And so yeah. they end up at about the same level. Um, the I only other sense. thing to talk about is, of course, there's a little bit of a Christmas land scenario where you can get gravity drive round one. If you can time tech out until after you've gained trade goods and somehow you're able to get six trade goods off of the trade person. This is the difficult part because you only have $3. Uh, you need I said six trade goods, but you, $6 total. You need three trade goods off of trade. Um, so maybe someone's willing to pay you for like the right timing of tech or something. But the whole point here is we're at least stalling it out until after trade is played. So I don't know. It's going to be really tough. I don't think it's easy to pull this off, but gravity drive round one is possible if you are the tech holder and that suddenly makes it worth it. So if you're a shrewd negotiator and you can get the money, um, that's cool. But I am also a little bit nervous about spending no plastic. all of yep. our money on tech instead of the plastic situation we keep talking about. So... Yep. And, and the whole point of gravity drive round one is the idea that you're maybe going to send a carrier further away than it should be. So you, you're inherently making your slice weaker. So I think double teching round one is the kind of mat play that ruins his own games. And you are better off taking just a free tech and spending all of your money on units or maybe even banking a couple trade goods for later. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I don't necessarily advise double teching round one unless there is an incredibly obvious gravity drive benefit from it. Cool. Um, what about that good old Imperial card? Is this the it's day in the sun? Nope. Nope. No, I don't oh, care. I will say, uh, okay. I will say, uh, as with Mentak, Isarl is a bit of a secret objective faction, but that obviously it doesn't do that doesn't that's not enough. Even if you're a really great secret objective faction, Imperial round one is never Yar. great. Yeah. Um Yeah. So let's we we've we've kind of harped on a lot of the issues that Isarl uh, has all game. And uh, I want to just say it one more time. Plastic, 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 plastic. Every every single round, your focus should be plastic first, to be totally honest with you. Because the points, you're going to find the tricky plays that you can do to get points. Um, it's when you overdo it that you ruin your games. When you're like, I'm yeah. going to stretch so crazy thin for points because I have this wackadoodle action card thing that I can pull off to then get the stuff that I want. 
that's when you ruin your own games. Um, but instead, every single round, like your first priority should be like, when and how do I need to build all of the right plastic this round? Then I'll look at points and figure all of that stuff out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, Hunter, you felt it in a recent game. You played a Sorrel this last weekend, and you even mm -hmm. messaged me saying, still felt like I didn't have enough plastic. Like, was actively thinking yep. about it all game. Was trying still to fix not it. Enough. Yep. I got construction round one, so I had a double docked home system, and I still feel like I just didn't yeah. get it together. You, My plastic situation never caught up. You super duper have to focus on it all game yep. again yeah the, the simplest way i can put it is your action cards are only as good as the plastic that you use them on because most yep. of your battle action cards still have to do with fleets that got to kind of be able to do their own thing um you know our morale boost isn't going to save your combat it could help but it's not it's not like non-euclidean shielding or ambush where it's going to like totally right. turn the tides of victory a, a morale boost is going to be an enhancement um and so. a lot of the cards are still like a lot of the good cards that you'll get still rely on RNG yeah. in a way that other factions just have abilities that straight up do a good yep. thing. Yeah, it's very true. That's very, very yeah. true. Um, so your only other issue uh, that I would talk about is um, this mentality. And we're going to talk about this more in like the mid game stuff. But I want to set you up for this frame of mind, which is what are we going to focus on this game? What what are we what's our superpower? Our superpower is that we can take big, crazy swings that nobody saw coming. We can stall everybody out and then do four actions in a row that nobody gets to sabotage, nobody gets to do anything about, and we just get an objective, right? We just, oh, suddenly we scored three tech objectives, you don't get, or tech specialties, you don't get to do anything about it because I just had so much stuff in my arsenal. Um, mm -hmm. So we're very, we're very good at taking big swings, um, but we are also an opportunist that has to be constantly looking for every favorable timing. So we're trying to save up stuff for a final round when we win, but we also have stuff that we need to just like get the most money out of when it comes up. Right. Uh, because again, we, we, we need kind of any inflow of cash we can get. So you kind of always have to weigh, is it better for me to save this morale boost skilled retreat in the silence of space flank speed combo for the last round of the game or should I find a way to get that flank speed to ghosts so that they can go take Muwat's home system? And will ghosts pay me enough to do that? Right. You are going to have that conversation with yourself all game. Uh, and, yeah. And so we're going to get a little bit more into this after we talk about tech. But uh, Asaril is a dirty, mean faction that maybe is the meanest faction in the entire game uh, because they don't just fight with plastic that everybody can look at and be like, that's scary. You fight with stuff where you you gotcha every single time you use your thing it's like nah got you idiot and mm -hmm. everybody hates you and they get really mad at you <laughs> so you are right. you are potentially the meanest faction at the table um, you also potentially extort the most yes which is why i don't like playing a sorrel yeah. and i don't think i'm good at yeah, it yeah it's it's why i like them a lot but also why everybody continues to not like playing with me because it slows things down and it's mean yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> That's um, it. You're you're you are ultimate killjoy yeah. goblin boy, basically. <laughs> Matt, the ultimate killjoy. Uh okay. Let's let's get into technology then. Um yeah, yeah, I yeah. actually I want to dispel the myth. Uh I want to dispel a couple myths with Isarl, but but Ooh, my, my first many Isarl myths. Yeah, my first thing about Isarl is I think their tech path is as basic as souls 
and you should not seek to go any further <laughs> than that. You should. Okay. You are blue, green, and the three unit upgrades that that come very easily with blue green. You start with the mm-hmm. green. Um, getting to gravity drive really quickly is pretty good for you. Um, yeah, just need generally to do that. speaking, and uh, you shouldn't overinvest in tech because, as we've said multiple times, you need plastic. So anytime you're double teching in any round is probably a negative. Um, yeah. So that means getting way ahead on tech is not always going to be super good for you. So right. that, even that's though six resources you could have spent right. on plastic. So let's talk about what that it's, it's the catch 22 of a sorrow, which is green tech rules. Magion implants is a good tech. Hypermetabolism is a good tech. Both techs are better the earlier you get them. This mm-hmm. is old hunter's law stuff. So sprint down green. Okay. Sprint I get down it. green. No, stop. Halt. It's just, it's not worth it to wait. You are not, Mentax sprints down yellow maybe sometimes because they get such a ridiculous economic advantage out of it that they can they can make good on that investment, right? They, they can, can recoup their they losses. They can recoup their the losses. Asaro will not recoup their losses for sprinting down green to get Mageon. Mageon is a great tech. If you end up with technology like two or three times in a game, that's maybe the game you get Mageon. But I do not think Mageon is actually worth it to sprint down green i would much rather go down blue and then i would rather get transparasteel at some point before the late game uh, before like my last two or three rounds and beyond that i super duper want those unit upgrades that are going to help me in a way more yep. significant way carrier yep. two yep. fighter two specifically and then infantry two if i need the third unit upgrade but carrier Can two. Can I say something kind of bold? Yeah, please. I want to say something kind of bold. I wish you would do this more often. Get bold. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Um, <laughs> I think hyper. Yeah. Is a little bit win more with a sorrow. Absolutely. Because what did we talk about earlier? You got five influence at home, man. At home, yeah. You're fine. Well, you, you should be able to figure out this command counter economy situation yeah. without having to get hyper early. Yeah. yeah. Basically, you don't. You don't need it. Obviously, it's cool, but. You need a way better plastic situation. And mm-hmm. Fighter 2, Carrier 2, Dread 2 with a yellow skip. We'll always love that. Love um, a yellow getting skip. Getting Sarween tools isn't the worst thing in the world, but again, that's slowing us down. Getting Anti-Mass, Grav Drive, Transparency Plating, and then the three other techs. You know, that's six total technologies we need to get the optimal uh, two and two colors, three unit upgrades, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Six techs is a lot for a 10-point game of Twilight Imperium. And yeah. Uh, it's especially a lot if we are trying to play really, really conservative with how much money we dedicate to tech, which is what a Sorrel needs to do. You need to play super mm-hmm. conservative with tech. Um, so in my head, you definitely get anti-mass and gravity drive right away. You probably get carrier two and fighter two right after that in either order, whatever. And then you come back around for transparent steel plating, and then you finish the game out with infantry two. And if somewhere in there you end up with a yellow skip and get dread two, go for it. Love it. Love dread two as a sorrel. Not bad at all. There's plenty of action cards that benefit uh, dreads and dread twos. So mm-hmm. do it. But I don't necessarily get sarween tools just to get dreadnought two. Um, so that's that's my take on it. You can do the green first um, to sprint down green. But as we already said, I, I just I don't think it's there. It's just a matter of I don't know if you have a green skip. Um, what's kind of juicy about what you can do is you can skip to Hyper and then later skip to Magion and then someday come back to Transparasteel. It's kind of an inefficient way to do it, but it gets you those early game advantage things that you need really badly 
when you don't need transparasteel anyways. So transparasteel right. can very easily be your fourth green technology that you get. Yep, and that, I agree. That's not the end of the world. You can probably make a pretty good game out of that. Um, I hate getting gravity drive that late. If I have a blue and a green slice in my skip, I might do green first. If I have both yeah. of those, because I can skip transparasteel, get hyper Mageon, I can skip for gravity drive at any point within that, and then I can come back for transparasteel and I can get all the unit upgrades. I just want to throw something out there because I think we've said this a couple times and I don't want anyone getting the wrong impression, but it's not that Transparasteel is never going to help no. you in the mid game. Yeah. And in fact, I bet you that one time you decide to skip it, it's you're going to have a very good round four opportunity that if you had Transparasteel, you could totally capitalize yeah. on. It's just that the likelihood of Transparasteel allowing you to make some sort of really killer play yep. I think goes up every round right. and then crescendos in the last round and is almost always worth it yep. by that point. Yeah. That's what we mean. Yeah. So the last thing is to give some credit to our Patreoners, part of our Patreon. They gave us some pre errata and there were a number of people, actually more people than like, I'm surprised how many people uh, talked about red, yellow Isarl. Um, I, I, mm. I don't, I don't get it. Um, cruiser to Isarl. Cruiser to Isarl. Um, the point here is to say, um, I mean, I think it's that Sarween Tools is good and that Cruiser 2 can do crazy stuff. I think we're mm -hmm. in a like heavy tech skip world when we talk about this. Um, if yeah. you can get, you know, if you have a red skip and you're willing to use it, I never am. But if you are, uh, you could get Sarween early, skip to, um, skip to Cruiser 2 really quickly. Um, there's a world where transit diodes is kind of interesting for Isarl because it helps solve some of their like I left a planet way out in the depths kind of weakly yeah. defended so, sure, sure, so sure. and then the biggest proponent to this is actually space dock 2 because like we've been saying uh, if, if I can just turn my problem into well at least I can build a bajillion units in my home system now because I have two space dock 2s at home that's a different way to overcome that problem I just don't think cruiser 2s reinforce that enough um, this yeah. could be like a, you need a blue and a yellow skip to pull it off. Cause you can still skip to gravity drive or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. and then you get Sarween, you get your cruiser twos, you use your blue skip again to get dreadnought two or something. Like there's a world where all of this shapes out. I just, first off, I didn't test it, so I can't specifically recommend it. And secondly, it's not the kind of thing that's ever worked for me. It's too wily and people take advantage. People find ways to take advantage of your weaknesses and, and yeah. any cruiser two path is automatically more dangerous unless you are specifically Mentac because ambush rules. Like that's the only reason cruiser two is so good with Mentac is because they get to kill stuff before it fires back at them. You don't have that as a sorrow. So I don't really see why cruiser twos is really doing anything for you. Also, the blue-green path synergizes really well with not having a lot of resources, right. which is obviously, we can't really bake that into the guide, yeah. um, but based off your home system, the idea that you're maybe going a little resource light, uh, Carrier 2 and Fighter 2 yeah. really go neatly with that, yep. I think, as compared to Cruiser 2, which is a little more like, I've got money to spare, yeah. I can throw cruisers at stuff willy-nilly, mm -hmm. Um, my, and take my, wild risks. My bigger argument, too, is just I think more action cards reinforce carrier-fighter combos than cruiser. Mm -hmm. com like a flank speed with a morale boost 
is so much better on getting a carrier way, way farther. Like a carrier sure, two yeah, with I gravity drive, that carrier can move four spaces and bring a boatload of fighters with it. And then you play a morale boost for a ton of plus ones. That is way more advantage. That's actually using your tangible advantage, your your faction advantages, more than a cruiser two. Sending two cruiser twos four spaces away, that morale boost isn't going to do diddly squat, and it's not going to get you anywhere. Like you just didn't accomplish anything with those cruisers mm-hmm. compared to that crazy carrier two movement. Yeah. So I think I think the best way I could put it is that a lot of the action cards that can swing fights for you. Um, the likelihood that they're going to help, uh, I think, goes up the more instances it can trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, not to get too technical, yeah. but just use morale boost as the easy example. The more fighters you have, the more I feel like it's likely that that morale boost is going to cause one of those fighters to get a hit where they would not have. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and we're not math people, though. I we're like not to math people, and, and we're, we, we we're play with our heart. on morale boost a lot. We believe in the heart of the cards. But okay? I'll also throw this out there. There's fighter prototype is also an action card. Sure. Okay, yeah, so yeah, fighters yeah. just got better. Uh, there's fire team, which is our uh, infantry booster. So if we have infantry twos that we get to re-roll, that's great. Like, and that's w- also, that that one works better the more infantry we have. Yes. So in the cruiser two setup where bringing we're infantry. sending. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So just everything reinforces the idea of get two space docks at home, build lots and lots and lots of very cheap units, and you can make them go further and do more stuff than, than your, like, your normal cruiser two shenanigans. So I, I just kind of feel like I, maybe this has oversimplified everything, but to me, Isarl is actually one of the few factions that just has a really simple tech path that you should just follow every time because you've got so much other stuff to worry about. Why make tech the thing that you like over embellish in? Like that, you you just don't need to spend that much time with it. Just get mm-hmm. the basic tech and find out ways to pull off the crazy action card stuff. Yeah, I I stink I I stink I agree a hundred percent. So, Hunter, now we get to potentially the most difficult part of the guide. Um, The big section. The big section, and it's the section that should be big, and I kind of feel like there's no way we can make it big enough. (laughs) And so I think it's going to err on the side of too small by anyone's metric because what we are about to talk about is stuff that gets so granular and so dependent Mm -hmm. on how your table treats extortion and negotiation yep. Yep. and king yep. slaying and all of that that and personal style it's all so deeply personal that i'm all i'm gonna do is tell you how i do it and that's as best as i can offer i just want to say this is the what we're about to talk about is the type of stuff that a normal podcast would never ever <laughs> would never touch ever ever <laughs> talk about this is and 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 I'm not saying we're smart nope. for talking about this type of stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is about to get uh, real messy. Okay, so the big thing. All right, we we have driven home the point that we have a plastic problem. We would love more money to get more plastic. We have three mm-hmm. commodities. Every round, we can reliably do something with those commodities, and we should seek every opportunity to do that. We should take trade as often as we can. And like we said earlier, we should trade with everybody. Be a freewheeling trade czar. Let them all do everything they can. Uh, because your whole goal as the Asaro, really dip yourself into the theme here and mm-hmm. 
subterfuge. Everything is about influencing the meta, influencing your opponents, and getting them to pull off attacks that they maybe wouldn't have otherwise done, and costing themselves and their neighbors ships in the process. You are leveling the playing field all game long through weird Machiavellian tactics that who knows if they make sense? I don't know, man. I'm your not... little finger. Yeah. Your what's his face? Yes. Varys. Yeah. You're 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 just actually, you know what? You're any Game of Thrones character. Right. <laughs> Throw any of them in there. That's what makes you're trying sense. to pull off. So yeah. here are just my quick tips on like what what kind of things you can pull off. So the first thing is anytime you could play an action card. You should try to get paid to play or not play that action card. And this is a disgusting way to play Twilight Imperium. And you can't overdo it. Even though I just said you should do it every single time. You can, this can have a negative meta impact on you if you just like completely draw the game to a screeching halt every single time you try to do this. But let's talk on a basic level what this looks like. And I think the easiest example is a card like Reactor Meltdown. Everyone understands that Reactor Meltdown generally hurts someone and is a card that is very often used for extortion or something like that. Bingo. So let's frame all of this around Reactor Meltdown. I have a Reactor Meltdown in my hand and I'm a Sorrel and I need to make a quick penny. And I've got Let's say three targets. Maybe it's it's even rare to have three. Sometimes it's just two options. But in general, if I've got three targets, uh, I don't need to just jump out there and be like, hey, who doesn't want me to play Reactor Meltdown on them? Pay me a dollar if you don't want Reactor Meltdown played on you. That's a really quick way to never start a bidding. Like, just nothing will happen. Um, nobody's yeah. going to care. Instead, you have to find out when you have actual leverage. First off, you have to do all the pre-calculations about whether or not that space knock actually matters to that person. I had someone play a reactor meltdown on me recently, and it was at a point where I was kind of already done using that uh, that space knock. Like it was, it was you know round five or something crazy late, and I was just like, I, nah, I'm I'm done with it. Like hit it. I'm not paying you, so just go ahead and do it. I, all it costs me is a, like a random construction thing I did earlier. So that's the most important thing is make sure they actually care about the card you're playing on them. Right. Uh, and Which they, can sometimes. I mean, they will probably try to pretend they don't yeah. care about it yeah 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 <laughs> for um, the record. and that's gonna come up that that point hunter just made is gonna come up here in a second but um let's make sure we actually have leverage and i think the best thing you can do is point it at someone and say hey i'm going to play this reactor meltdown on you specifically unless you pay me a dollar oh god and that person goes, okay, uh, mm-hmm, I waffle, I waffle, I waffle. Okay, here's a dollar. And then you go to contestant number two and you say, all right, your turn. You want to give me a dollar to not have this reaction? Oh, my God. And, and then ju- I pull out my list yes. of all of the people that play <laughs> Twilight Imperium and I cross you off of it. So that's that is the that's the one method. And it, it, it like Hunter just described, it's wicked annoying and it's just kind of your only advantage in the game. Here's the other way you can play this reactor meltdown, is to specifically go, Hunter, I could hit your space dock right there, and you can pay me a dollar to not hit it. Or you can pay me two or three dollars, you can give me three bucks, to instead hit Alex's space dock right now. I will play this reactor meltdown in this moment, and that his space dock is right next to you. It's a threat to you. Do you want to get rid of that threat while also protecting your own stuff right this second? Mm-hmm. Making... Let's say let's add a little more context to this to illustrate why it's a good play. Let's say Alex 
is barony mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's my neighbor right and he hasn't spent the resources that he's gonna spend on, on that, that juicy up. right uh forward dock build yes and it's by my stuff now now you might maybe care. i do actually want that yep a lot of times people bring up this type of deal to me and i don't i still don't really care mm-hmm. because it doesn't do enough for me right now yeah. That's the whole thing with any of your action cards is you have to make sure you're making the threat like the moment the person can see the value in it. Yeah. And you have the timing like that. The you whole can make thing the about timing work. Is, yes. <laughs> yeah. Is being specific about when you do stuff. Yes. No one has more influence over that than Isarl. Yep. So. Yeah. Um, so here's the second thing you can do with your action cards. You have a promissory note, Spinet. I don't even think we read what Spinet does earlier. We just kind we of didn't, and I'm I'm actually kind of glad we didn't yeah. because it's time for the Spinet part, <laughs> the tribunal the of Spinet. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> at the start of your turn, look at the Asaro player's hand of action cards. Choose one of those cards and add it to your hand. Then return this card to the Asaro player. So Spinet is supposed to be a way for you to essentially steal a card from the Asaro player's hand. But the way it plays out is it ends up being more like Hakan's ability to trade action cards because at any point, Asaro can give Spinet to somebody else and say, hey, look, you could take any of the cards in my hand, but I know you specifically want to get to that system over there and I have a flank speed. So here's the Spinet for you to just take the flank speed and go do the attack you want to do. And it's wicked annoying, but it's also super duper good if you can get the right price. And the other value you're getting out of it is you're encouraging people on the board to attack other people. And you're giving them a tool that says, hey, that thing you've been kind of questioning, if if you have the odds to take it, I can improve those odds for you and I can make it in your favor. Now, do you maybe want to do it? And that person plenty often is like actually yeah with that one action card i could do that that's two i'll do i'll do two trade goods or whatever the value you know that that stuff shifts like the wind uh but but uh look for opportunities to not only just play action cards at people but give action cards to people for the right price right um so the, the whole point to all this is like you aren't just trying to sell action cards for value it's not quite like a brian thing where it's like oh this this action card is worth four trade goods and i'll do this it's not a great brian impression very good (laughs) it's not a magi thing there's not like a math to all these action cards instead it's just a matter of like you are trying to influence everybody at the table with the only advantage that you have in this game which is the surprises god you just (laughs) made me imagine the worst thing which is well it's not the worst thing but the idea of Magi and Brian creating some sort of action card stock market <laughs> where each action card has a fluctuating value that they determine and it changes and it's all of them. Oh, man. And and then add Ginger into the mix where Ginger's like, I'm willing to buy all the prices if I can talk <laughs> through them enough and I can lower you by one trade good. I'll spend half an hour to save one dollar. <laughs> the, the action card Dow Jones. <laughs> Bye, bye, bye. Flank speeds oh, are going boy. hot. Um, okay, so let's get into what our mid-game ends up looking like since um, our primary trading revolves around opportunities for other people and not ourselves, right? All we've been doing all game now is selling action cards to help them do other stuff to other people and not specifically helping ourselves, which 
in a sense, is something I think myself I would have disagreed with like a year ago. I would have been like, no, yeah. your action cards should always be for yourself. You will get, you will innately get more value out of them as a sorrel because you can, at the very least, you can always stall with them later on, and that's partially true. But because the plastic advantage is so severe, the more you can fund other people's wars, the more you can hurt their plastic, and the more you can then catch up. Um, I think yeah. that's kind of the guiding philosophy that you should have is what I'm trying to do is not only make money off of selling action cards, it's make money while also make that person lose like a cruiser and a fighter. <laughs> Those are the kind of gains you're trying to to find um, along the way. Uh, so in the mid game, you are um, you have the worst catch 22 of Asarl and Asarl has already been full of catch 22s, but their biggest issue is this big action card swing you've been saving up for. Mm -hmm. And what you want is for that action card swing to happen round six, let's say. Round six is the average round game's end. You want your action card swing to happen round six when you're holding Imperial or Leadership or something, and you pull off all these crazy maneuvers after everyone else has passed, and you get all the game-winning points that you need, and then you score before anybody else can do anything about it. That's ideal. But yeah, that, that's what it looks like. That's what if, it looks when like. When you win as a Sarl a lot of but the time. But that is not the scenario you will always find yourself in. And you need oh, yeah. to be prepared to deviate from that plan. Because you can't assume you're going to have the opportune moment. And instead, you have to look for every opportunity that arises. And so I'm going to propose you don't act like a crazy person and withhold every single secret objective and every action card you have until the last round. And you should instead, if in round four, a perfect opportunity arises where you can pull off all the stuff you want to pull off, you should go ahead and do it. And if throughout the entire game, you have dedicated enough energy into really, really reinforcing yourself with plastic, you can have a swing round in round four, get into the pack or even ahead of the pack and maybe still withstand a little bit of king slaying in round five or six. If you have really, truly dedicated yourself to the cause of improving your plastic game. That's why so much of your game hinges on that. Because you can't specifically control the timing of your big action card swing. You have to be prepared to do your action card swing at kind of any moment. Um, So find out when it will be the most lucrative. If you can score four points in a round, I'm going to say go ahead and do it. And I know there's people out there that don't love that kind of philosophy, and they're instead like, nope, I'm going to hold out, and I'm going to hold out, and I'm going to hold out. Asarl just doesn't have enough defensive capabilities. They don't have enough ways to just, like, maintain economic leverage all game. You just don't have those tools like something like Extra or Hakan or Jolnar or Soul have. You don't have those tools that are just like, I can sh- I can shell up and do whatever I need to hold on. You have to take risks. Um, mm-hmm. is, is my opinion of Asarl. So the other factor that is kind of juicy here is everyone expects you to wait till round six to do the big action card swing. So imagine how little they'll do to stop you if you do it in round four instead. There's so much energy devoted in round six to stopping the big action card swing from Asaro. People will just throw crap in your way. They will do everything they can. If the second you start discarding a single action for stall tactics, the whole table looks at you and goes, well, Asaro sees a path. They're doing crazy stuff. Let's put everything oh we can in their way. And mm-hmm. your whole game gets ruined because you waited so long and then they easily stopped you. 
But in round four, if you do a couple actions and then do a single stall tactics and then what, do like one more action and then another stall tactics and you start spreading it out, the table won't be willing to respond to you because they're still so focused on their normal point engine that they won't, they just won't react to your swing round. And you can have a pretty big swing round and end up at like eight points. And then all you have to do is hold on for dear life, which obviously is not a scenario you necessarily want to be in. But if we invested in plastic enough and we did everything else right, we could mm -hmm. be on a clearer path for victory than we would have otherwise. Yeah. That, yeah, me like you. That's, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the most difficult part of a sorrel. So, so the big thing is keep up that plastic situation. And this is where fighter twos come in the most handy is gum up your slice like crazy um you you have had probably a bit of a uh, command counter advantage all game especially if we did crazy stuff like take leadership and stall it out for as long as we can and prevent other people from being getting lucrative actions off of leadership and we spend those command counters to then spread out our fighters and whatnot uh you can do just like so much and those fighters will come in handy when then people come trying to take out your home system and can't get through all of the gum so um, I think your mid game is just a requirement to find the best opportunity you can and take it when it come, when it presents itself. Mm -hmm. um, I like it. I like it. The the other thing too, and this is this is a bit more of a late game point, uh, but it, it qualifies. I mean, basically from round three onward, Asarl is somewhat thinking of the late game uh, because any yeah. round could be your swing round that that acts like you're round six. Um, well, and you're looking at your hand yes. and your hand is hopefully singing a certain path right. to you. Right. A combination of cards is going to help you uh, finish this up. Yeah. Basically. Um, so the big thing is uh, my, my only, only other piece of advice is to try and hide your stall tactics as much as you can. There's nothing more obvious than a, an Asaro who spends the first three actions of a round using stall tactics, just burning random yep. action cards. Yep. yep if yep, you yep, can yep, instead, yep move this carrier to go do a small thing like initiate the first little part of your plan that isn't as obvious of a threat and then your next action do a card that is a stall but you're not using a stall tactics you're just like doing industrial initiative or something sure, sure and then sure. your third action do another little minor part of your plan and then as your like fourth and fifth action, start doing stall tactics. Cause this is when people are going to start running out of actions in their turn. But like you can't be sneaky. Yes. Literally. You literally just, be just need to be sneaky and you need to be thinking yeah. about all the ways that you can be sneaky about how you're going to pull off this win. You, you, you can't let yourself be obvious about how you're going to start using stall tactics. Um, and the last major point, and this is really specifically late game is few factions are better at king slaying than Isarl. Um, and this is a blessing and a curse for you as the Asaro player. Yeah, because it's boring. It's boring. It's so boring. And it's not very fair. Um, and yeah. <laughs> I want to put out the argument that Asaro players don't need to take any guff from the table. Here's the argument that's going to get thrown at you in the late game. Asaro, we have to stop Jolnar. This is going to start sounding super familiar to Hunter. Oh, you're just making it real. Yeah, you're <laughs> just going to make it real. Use my I wasn't even meaning example. to, but like that, this is what the scenario always sure, ends sure, up sure, looking sure. like. It's it's a it's a good. This is the proto scenario yeah. for this. Um, anyway, Hunter Jolnar is going to win if we don't do something. And you have Spinet, and you have good action cards. Give us Spinet so that you can give us those action cards so that we can use them against Jolnar. And you have to do it for free because if you don't do it, you're just king making anyways. You jerk. You idiot. You well, stupid yeah, kingmaky jerk! Right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like if you—I don't know—I I have had this happen to me more than once. Yeah. 
where it just feels like my action cards become public domain just like it all of a sudden it's socialism like all the way yeah and uh, my cards do not belong to me and it is a bummer and you should still get stuff yes. for helping yeah you should like, demand a price is what i'm gonna say the 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 win making meta is a part of ti we're probably gonna have an episode about that soon of just like what what win making means these days in ti and i think you just have to accept it and it is absolutely not fair that players at your table would not give you something in return for action cards because yep. it's been yep. your only advantage all game. You've worked all game to build this amazing stockpile of action cards, and now suddenly it's it belongs to everyone. No, they need to pay for it, and that just needs to be accepted. So you're very, very, very good at that, and you probably that's probably where you can do the thing where like you get into a comparable lead with them, and then you can very easily stop the other person who might win this round that's what Asarl's super good at but like continue to make sure you get paid or there's maybe situations where you don't get paid because you can see that your path to victory is obvious if you stop that person or whatever like we can make all kinds mm -hmm. of caveats and stuff but the fact that you've been all game using your action cards in little ways to impact people's chances at victory becomes really really apparent in round five and six when you can like very directly stop people's victories and you should look for all of those opportunities and you should make money while doing so yeah or maybe it's not money maybe it's just make your own positional advantages or whatever right right well i have a, a pretty big announcement at this point in the guide oh boy um i have figured out why confusing legal text is in the game <laughs> and it, and i don't i'm not trying to end the show but i'm pretty sure because that would be like the ending of the show would be like confusing legal text coming full circle right. in some Season way finale. Um, i think that the only reason it's there is so that when you're isarl you look at it and you're like i want to discard this mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. i don't want to keep this it's basically useless except for the one situation in which it is use useful, which is public execution, and the likelihood that public execution is going to happen yeah. to you right. is higher than it is <laughs> any other player. And I've realized this is the intention. This is the whole reason it's there. So if you're not playing Isarl and you draw confusing legal text, uh-oh, confusing legal text didn't work this time. Yeah. Better luck next time. <laughs> but I will say, the last time I played Isarl, when I drew it, I actually had a tangible feeling of safeness mm -hmm. because now I know that the disaster scenario can only happen to me if someone has a sabotage and is willing to spend it, in right. which case, then they probably are. So actually, this well, kind of all goes out the window right now, but maybe. Now, nah, only one person at the table is going to be willing to spend the sabotage. So it is a it is a one in five kind of odds thing because you're, the only person who's going to sabotage the confusing legal text is the person that you're going to point that confusing legal text at. <laughs> you're danged so. old, right? <laughs> so yeah, uh, but but that is the thing that is the most complicated part of a sorrel is keeping every single sort of action card scenario in your head like mm -hmm. that one. Uh, riders are such a freaking roller coaster with a sorrel because you get a lot of them and figuring out what to do with them and whether you counterplay them against each other or if you spread them out across every single agenda and always just try your like that stuff is a whole other thing we could get into there's a million ways we could i mean go listen to just our action cards episodes and i think i think it's obvious what you do with the writers if you get a whole bunch of them as a sorrel mm -hmm. you you do the classic Imperial Rider on one side, yep. 
every single other, other one on the other, like <laughs> right. all of the right. other ones. Burn them all at once. Yeah. You either give me the point, or you give me dang everything. It, you give me the world. Or, <laughs> yeah, or you give me the world. The point or the world. I think that's that's my favorite way to do it. Is I like to save them up. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And make it hurt. Right. When it comes out. Right. Well. That's, I mean, that's all I got with a sorrel. It's, it's maybe not as much as we could have done, but man, we we could do that it's, for ten. It's years. a Jolnar situation yeah. where it's just like, how are we supposed? I mean, it it's maybe in the future I will throw a Galactic Council episode of we talk through the action cards from Isarl's perspective. Right. Uh, but not today. Yeah, not today. Not today. <laughs> uh, instead of that, I just want to get to thanking all of our patrons who made this episode possible. There was loads of pre-errata for this one. Um, some of it, I, I want to especially give a shout out to Gavigan. Gavigan gave just this like beautiful list of things uh, things to do as a sorrel. And a lot of that stuff just made it into this guide. So, like Gavigan, you are you are co-writer <laughs> for for this Asarl guide. I really thank you, Gavigan. It was very helpful. Um, I also want to thank our weird bears, Farganus, Brian, Pink, Billy, and TG Welch. And I want to thank our space kitties, Naderade, Patience is a Virtue, Polyphony Requiem, Julian R. Wise, Hippie Peace Turtles, Rekka, Gazkio, Strict Nine, Dark Jutsu, More Tension, Bot Bot. Uh, wow! Uh, wow! So many. That's a lot of people. Love it. People. Um. I want to talk about uh, all the all the other Patreon levels real quick. Um, Hunter Donaldson Fan Club, um, that uh, poll is closed. And very narrowly, Pick a Planet Woo! won. So this Friday, um, May 29th, at approximately 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, you will see me streaming this Pick a Planet variant that I don't even fully understand. Yeah. Also, if you want to... If you want to play with me, please hit me up because, and also, especially if you've already played the variant, because I'm going to need your help. Yeah. <laughs> um, next, next thingy, Galactic Counselors, um, y'all only have, I think, four days. Yeah, y- y'all have four days left to vote on the second round um, for the um, June 2nd episode. Uh, your two options are 14 point invitational overview, which is like winning, and the, there's probably not enough time to swing it mm-hmm. back the other way. But the other one is the Eternal Underdog homebrew ideas, where we talk about everybody's homebrew ideas for Twilight Imperium 4. And uh, also, I unveil my uh, fan <laughs> faction that I've been working on forever. I, I can't wait to tell you about it. I'm going I'm to tell you about it. Also, um, <laughs> randomly, for no particular reason, um, I decided to start a book club. Uh, for the Discord, uh, I don't read enough, and uh, felt like it would just be something cool to ask y'all to do. So, mm-hmm. Galactic Counselors uh, and above, if you guys notice, you have an extra um, poll. Uh, I'm gonna let it go for a week. Um, your four options are: we all read Dune by Frank Herbert, um, which is, of course, in honor of the board game, uh, and then also there's a movie hopefully still coming out. I don't know. I don't know how anything works anymore. is working anymore. <laughs> Um, your second option is Neuromancer by William Gibson, which if you don't know, is a cyberpunk novel. Uh, it is like the proto cyberpunk novel. Mm. Um, and I put this on in honor of the very, of the game that I am definitely going to spend a lot of time with this year, Cyberpunk 2077. Um, I've also read both Dune and Neuromancer before. Don't think that I haven't. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> but I'm always down to reread either of those books. These second, uh, th- these uh, these uh, other 
two options I have never read before. Um, this first one I've always meant to, though, Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin. I put this on uh, as a kind of uh, Portland uh, solidarity <laughs> thing. Ursula is a, uh, a Portland writer, um, and I've always heard that this is one of the best science fiction novels of all time. I want to read it. Uh, I studied it in a science fiction class, uh, and it sounds amazing. Hmm. And the last one, uh, Matt, you threw on yeah. Leviathan Wakes by James S.A. Corey, which is the first book in the Expanse series, which, of course, uh, has some sort of... There's a TV adaptation, I there's think, going on There's an Amazon right TV now. show. It used to be Yarr. a sci-fi TV show, but Amazon picked it up, and it has been described as Game of Thrones in space. So, yeah. sign me up! <laughs> right, yeah, Matt staying very much on his brand. Um <laughs> of it must be Game of Thrones or plus <laughs> blah, blah, blah thing. Um, anyways, let's give you my Twitch schedule. Um, so on Thursday, I'm going to play Root at probably about noon um, with uh, some some Root folks. Uh, on Friday at 4 p.m., I'm going to do XCOM again. That series um, is only getting better, by the way. It was really fun last week, and I expect it will be very fun this week. Um, just if you want a little teaser for XCOM this week, um, we're going to open uh, the episode with uh, what we're calling a mommy squad contest, <laughs> where I have created a squad of potential mommies. They don't have names yet. Um, and also, if none of this makes sense to you, I don't care. Um <laughs> We're going to open up with this Mom Olympics where th these potential mommies are, are all going to try and accomplish a mission. Every mommy that makes it through will get uh, a mommy name based off of uh, probably, I'll probably get Alex's, uh, one of my co-hosts, uh, his mommy in there, Anthony's mommy in there, and then maybe some people from the chats uh, will get their lucky mommies in there. You I'm going to do it based off... Of it. We'll yeah, uh, may Lisa could make it, maybe. <laughs> we'll see if she makes the cut. Um what I'm looking for is really good mommy names, though. Mm. You know, those names that just have such a mommy sound Diane. to them. Yeah, so check out Mommy Squad. That's going to be really a really fun day. Obviously, uh, 100 Onsen Fan Club is going to be Friday night at uh, approximately 6 p.m. And then, Matt, what's going on on Saturday? Like, I'm not going to be on our Twitch, but... Yeah, I'm in the uh, Defteris and Patience and the Virtues 14-point finals, which is uh, on this Saturday, and it starts about 8 a.m., I want to say. I think it's 1700 Central, something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Look around the discords for more information about specifics on that. I believe it's all on Flat Tomatoes' Twitch. Uh, yes, yes, Hunter, yes. you're jumping in there towards the end game to be a commentator for a little bit. Yeah, I they they asked me when I would like to be on the stream, and I want to be there for the ending. Mm -hmm. um, of course, I'm going to be watching all day um, as well with everybody else. Yeah. Uh, please check out that game. It's going to be super fun to see yes. uh, Matt get eliminated by Jayhan. Yes. Um, very much looking forward to that. Maybe the entire table. Uh, At this point, the entire, every, all five other players have discussed eliminating me. So I feel like it is a certainty now. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, this is just, you know, it's just that proof, you know, that we, um, while maybe it's cool to listen to us, uh, it, playing against us is a, a blood sport mm -hmm. where the only victory is destroying us completely. <laughs> um, and I get that. And, you know, like, I think if I were in y'all's position, I would do the same. Mm -hmm. I would be like... Mm -hmm. Look at look at these cocky fools that talk about Twilight Imperium all day. I'll show I, them. I have to crush them. <laughs> um, at the at, 
at the risk of destroying my own game in the process. Right. Um, it's just how it goes. Well, I want to convince you to come follow us on Twitter at Space Cats Pod. I'd love it if you rated our podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a rating. Let us know which of the four books, Dune, Neuromancer, Left Hand of Darkness, or Leviathan Wakes, is your favorite. And this? give that book a five-star rating. Sure, yeah. Oh, you can do that. That I think that's that'd be cool if you just gave us five stars and then reviewed one of the books <laughs> that are available. You could also give us five stars and let every star represent a time that you will play with us and eliminate us <laughs> from the game because we are trash yes. and you know it. Right. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and you can please join our Discord community for lots of constant conversation about uh, Twilight Imperium, about Root, about all sorts of video games, about the book club that will be happening, about movies, all kinds of stuff. Come hang out with us. We're there all the time. It's a fun Discord. A fun and Discord. I and you know what? I've been enjoying it a lot better since I started participating in it. Wow. It turns out it's fun if you're there. It's fun if you're there. Hey, you know, <laughs> there's something about my schedule that changed uh, in March. Uh-huh. I don't know and what it was. More available. But <laughs> Suddenly things opened up and I had more time to uh-huh. be on the Discord. And I got to say, it's been great. And I love the Discord. And I'm really excited about Book Club. Please vote on the book for Book Club. Um, I will be happy with any of these choices. Um, except for, obviously, Le- Leviathan Wakes, since Matt picked that one and I have to crush him. If if Leviathan Wakes... I can't even say the word. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Um, if that uh, Expanse book makes it through then that'll be the equivalent of eliminating me from the, the Patreon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be funny if every month I threw up a new book and, and they always picked the your you book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it was just like, what have I done? Now I only read books All right, this, that this essentially month, Matt picks. <laughs> this month it's three things by Pynchon or Hank the Cowdog but from Matt. <laughs> he wanted us to do Hank the Cowdog. And I guess, oh, shoot, one again. Oh, oh man, it's Hank the Cowdog. Oh, boy. <laughs> man, I got to stop being so democratic. <laughs> Oh, Hunter, do that new tagline that we do all the time when we now hey. now it's the end of the and the episode is over. So, yeah. Hey, um, I don't really know how to get into it organically from here, but I'm just going to look you right in the eyes and say same cat time, same cat place. I hate that you say place because the joke is that it's the Batman thing. And it's same bat time, same bat channel. So are, do we get to, oh. should we say channel or should it be like same cat? Same cat, home system. Same piece cat, same (laughs) space channel. Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum.